Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. And I almost forgot that I introduced the episode, the, yeah, the journals, because you are going to be kicking us off. I always kick us off mm-hmm. um, with, the, with, with the journals, um, but it worked out we had the exact same number of movies to talk about, so you are going to kick us off. And I say, um, I say you go ahead and do it, unless you have anything else you wanted to get to. Just that I, I feel like I'm cheating a little bit as always because three of my five movies are rewatches, but they are movies I have not seen in many years. Okay. Um, my, uh, my brother-in-law was in town and anytime he's in town, he's always interested to like uh, watch movies that he maybe hasn't heard of in some cases. Mm. Um, and so, uh, which usually means rewatching for me. And in this case, it was three films that I hadn't seen. I think since I and- saw them in the theater. And these are movies that you are thinking he'll like. Oh, absolutely. Right? Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's but, not like uh, try to like out obscure. No, there uh, is a, <laughs> there is a tendency uh, in me. This is a pretty, okay. I know we've got stuff to get to. Um, so <laughs> me being who I am, you, you've known me for a long time. You know that my comfort zone is fairly small. I've known you. 23 years 23 right? years that's yeah. correct uh which is insane to think about yeah. um and and it passed by without us noticing jen and i have been in los angeles for 15 years now um and so i'm just thinking of like it's insane like the no, yeah. the amount of time i've known certain people and live certain places it just goes by without even thinking about it yeah um, i will be at 17 years later this year yeah uh, in los angeles which means I'll only be, I'll be less than a year away from having lived in Los Angeles longer than I lived in St. Louis County. That's how do you feel about that? Out of curiosity. I'm kind of looking forward to it because okay. I, I like, I pretty much think of myself as an Ange- Angelino now with the exception mm-hmm. of my allegiance to most like St. Louis sports, at least in terms of yeah. like basketball or basketball. I don't watch basketball, uh, baseball and hockey. And then my, as far as college football, I still root for Mizzou, but uh, I guess in as much as I have an NFL team, go Rams. I'm happy sure. to root for the Rams. I don't, I'm not really a huge NFL guy, but uh, very excited to see the Rams in the, in the Super Bowl. Um, in fact, I guess by the time, no, no, this episode will go up before the Super Bowl. Um, so uh, let's hope they, Pulled it out. Um, Let's yes. Beat that but, other uh, team. I don't know who it is. The Cincinnati Bengals. Ah. Um, but uh, yeah, but also I just realized by saying we've known each other 23 years, you and I have known each other more than half of our lives. Yeah. You know, it's, I've been doing that calculation a lot lately. It, it, um, there's boy, there's a lot of, a lot of tangents going on in my mind right now. Um, so I turned 40 in a couple uh, in a couple weeks. And that is aside from just officially in my, in my mind, officially being old at that point. Um, it's, this has been a tough year because my father died when I was 20. So this, you know, once I turned 40 and then in April, when it marks like the 20 year 
uh, anniversary. That sounds wrong. Uh, marking of his death. It's like, okay, oh, so that's half. That's well, hold on. half my life. Can I be like uh, a cynical asshole? Sure. Uh, do you know what the term is for the anniversary? The, the annoying like Facebook mom term for oh, the I anniversary don't. of someone's death. Angelversary. Oh, <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, but you know what? Once it comes up, I'm going to use it constantly. Um, yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah. And so it's, you know, I, and I, I just kind of, re- and then like uh, it, my father's birthday was back in January and he would have been 70. And so like, you know, it's, uh, it's a little rough, but like noting like, okay, well, it's now been half my life without him. And incidentally, the, the half with him, I wasn't super uh, conscious of, <laughs> right. of, of everything. And so, um, so it's a very, it's, it's a little sad for me. And then of course, come next year, it's like, now I've lived longer without him than with him. And that's, and mm-hmm. so it's all, it's all very sad, but I think, yes, looking at things, looking at the positive things and being like, yes, I've, I'm almost 40 and you've been a part of my life in some capacity uh, for that long. And uh, it's weird to think that there was a time when we didn't live in the same city. Uh, but obviously when we first met, we didn't. And then for the short time when you were in Los Angeles and I was still in Chicago, we didn't, but uh, it's, it's strange yeah. to think about. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that's kind of how this podcast came to happen because you and I would like for that, what year in, in four or five months, just yeah. under a year and a half that we that you, before you moved out here, we would having like, we're having just long phone conversations yeah. about the movies. We were essentially doing the BP movie journal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It took us so long to get to the BP movie journal because this was something that like, I would show up at your house to record the episode and we'd spend mm-hmm. the first hour just chatting about what we'd seen recently. Yeah. And it, and, and somehow we, it went, it was like the better part of a decade before you went, why don't we do, why don't we just hit record when we do this? <laughs> yeah. It, uh, it does, you know, of, it, I, maybe it's, maybe it's a testament to us that it took us so long to get to a point where it's like, what's the point of, of talking if we're not recording it? Uh, you know, every podcaster gets there eventually, which is, you know, every thought and every interesting communication they have with someone's like, Oh, why am I not recording right now? Um, but yeah. And it, uh, it took us a while, but, um, well, yeah, that's like, but that's also why, um, we started first, we started adding TV to the movie journal. And then when now we do the TV journal on yeah. Patreon, because I had this thing of like, well, I'm spending like, cause my team, my, my podcast with Paul Goebel about TV had ended. Yeah. And so I'm spending this time. I'm like, I'm watching this TV and I don't have an outlet to talk about. What am I? I'm wasting my time watching things that I'm not then going to talk about on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's how oh, it absolutely. Built. Absolutely. Okay. So we're back to you recommending movies to your or watching movies with your brother-in-law. And you were, this is, this is the original tangent. Yeah, that's right. And uh, so essentially, so you've known me for a while, you know, that I have a very small comfort zone. Uh, My brother-in-law, however, is very adventurous. The comfort zone is if you remember where uh, Jerry Blank buys her her tennis (laughs) shoes. I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> I do now, now that you've mentioned it, of uh, course. Because like all the girls are bragging about their new like name brand shoes and they're like, <laughs> where do you get your shoes, Jerry? The comfort zone. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I haven't seen that show in so long. I feel like I should rewatch it. I think I'd like it more now Probably, than yeah. I did then. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, and so. Okay, I keep um, interrupting you. I'm sorry. It's fine. Uh, but yeah. And so, uh, when I, so my, my brother does, you know, he, he's, he'll, my brother-in-law will like do whatever sounds 
interesting to him at the time. And so there are times when like Jen, myself and my brother-in-law will be hanging out and he like suggests something that invariably does not sound fun to me. Um, and then Jen will usually, not that there are sides, but there are sides and she sides with him. And, uh, and so I just keep finding myself in a position to be like going out, like out at a very loud bar or off, or in some cases wearing something I wouldn't be wearing. Like my brother-in-law's like, he goes, Hey, you should try on this hoodie that that's, is his. And he goes, I think it'd look good on you. It's like, well, <laughs> what what are you talking about so uh so yeah um so because i'm i'm put in that position of uh not being actively shamed for being myself but that's how i take it um uh, i often try to think in terms of like okay how can i how can i punish other people how can i uh teach them that hey we all have a comfort zone and so i try to think like okay so I'm the one picking the movie tonight. A, eh? okay. I think it's time for Verkmeister harmonies. What do you guys think? You know, <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, it's it's not a good instinct in me, um, but I do know that like months ago when when he was visiting, we actually watched the first half of Nashville, uh, and then we got interrupted and we didn't come back to it. But the first half is the really disorganized part of Nashville, and then it all comes together. So mm -hmm. if you've only watched the first half, the film seems like the height of pointlessness to you. And so he was frustrated by it. Jen was frustrated by it. And I was like, well, if we, once we get back to it, it'll be fine. And they were astonished that it was my favorite movie. Um, and I was like, just, just trust me, but we haven't gotten back to it. And so uh, recently we were all in Minnesota because uh, sadly uh, Jen's grandmother passed away. Mm. Uh, and so the three of us, so we were walking in, you know, sub-zero temperatures on our way to a bar, me wearing a hoodie that is, I, I was not comfortable in. Um, and as we're just, you know, and, and my brother-in-law being like a very extroverted, upbeat guy, he's, he goes, hey, come on, let's, you know, let's try this place. Let's try that place. And I was like, you know what? I said it at the time. I was like, you know what? The next time you come to visit, we're fucking finishing Nashville. All right. <laughs> that's which we wound up not doing because it seemed vindictive of me to do that. But, uh, but yeah, so that's, uh, so in this case, I picked movies that I did think he would like. Okay. Uh, but all that is to say that I, that was against my own uh, instincts for vengeance. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that was a long way to go, but uh, I'm feeling, um, I'm feeling in a, in a full disclosure mindset and letting people know just how petty I am as a person. So you watch disclosure. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and he loved it. <laughs> He's like, yes, this is usually how sexual harassment goes. Right. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Thank you everybody for, for uh, bearing, bearing with me uh, with uh, those stories and, uh, and David and I going down memory lane and all that sort of thing. Okay, so my first movie, which I said I would talk about, even though I watched it uh, a while ago, but it was under embargo last week, uh, and okay. that is uh, Kenneth Branagh's Death on the Nile, um, which uh, you can find a review for at BattleshipPretension.com. I wrote it today. And um, Not to police your language, but I say a review of. What did I say? You said a review for. Oh, you know what? I usually, I feel like I usually say of, I think you do. Yeah. I don't and and okay. so I don't know why I said that. I, I apologize. That's, um, it's, it's okay. It's just a personal preference of mine, but you don't have to, you know what, but that's the thing is it's my preference as well. Similar. Uh, it bothers me when people say that a, a, a movie 
is based off of something as yeah. opposed to based yeah. on something. And I'm in the minority on this one. Like so many people use it that I'm like, I, I this is a losing battle on my part. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I think the thing that bothers me are like, um, if you go to a movie theater and see a movie, you saw that movie. Mm. If you watch a movie at home, you watched a movie. Yes. Yeah. I, 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 I use those very specifically, but I've heard people say like, I went to the theater and I watched whatever the other night. And that just sounds wrong to me. It's like, no, watching is what you do at home. You, if, if something's on a big, if being projected on a big screen, you saw that movie. Yeah. And I, that's exactly how I, how I use it as well. And of course we get, we have to just, we have to go back to that Joel Siegel quote on the cover of the <laughs> Ray yeah. uh, poster and DVD where he says like, it's like one of the best movies I ever saw. And it's like, I think you mean one of the best movies you've ever seen, unless you decided to just stop. Yeah. Like I'm done, not merely reviewing. I'm done watching movies. Yeah. It's in the past tense. And this is one of the best movies I ever saw back in that other chapter of my life when I was watching movies. Now, if you want to go all the way back to maybe like the first episode of Battleship Retention, if you were my dad, when you watch a movie at home, sure. you sat down and watched. <laughs> uh, like whenever my dad yeah. w- would like tell me about, cause he knew I liked movies when I was away, you know, yeah. He would like tell me about what he watched. He was like, the other night we sat down and watched, I don't know, whatever it would be. Yeah. And it was, it was always that same phrase. We sat down and watched uh blank. Um, I like I the idea that this. your dad thought that if he hadn't said that, he thinks other people just think that he's just pacing around like a tiger <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> watching a movie. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. So death on the Nile. Death on the Nile. So the new uh, army hammer vehicle. It is, though you you know they clearly don't want to play that up, understandably so. Uh, and and he's a, he plays a major role. So you know in, in the trailers and stuff, like they they try to remove him as much as they can, but it's a, it's a pivotal role. Um, but yeah, so this is the second uh, Poirot film uh, that Kenneth Branagh has done. He did Murder on the Orient Express, which I liked actually quite a bit. It's not it in my view, it doesn't really hold a candle to the Sidney Lumet film of 74, but um, death on the Nile is better in my opinion. Um, oh, okay. And, and I can't even really put my finger on why it could be that I'm just, I'm less familiar with the story of death on the Nile, though it has, it has also been adapted into uh, into a film uh, a few times um, in the seventies with uh, Peter Ustinov as, as Poirot. And I liked that adaptation, I recall. Um, but I think it also is just that uh Murder on the Orient Express, it often felt like like uh, Brano didn't fully trust the material, like the idea of being stuck on this train. So as the train is like snowed in and not moving, the characters will often like step off the train and, and you know, hang out like in the snow. And it's just like, oh, hmm. I feel like the idea of being confined right. uh, is better. And here, while it does take them a while to get on this boat, once they are like that, that's where everything takes place. And it does feel more confined. And, uh, and I also think first off it is, I mean, it is a gorgeous movie. Um, you know, you're dealing with, as is the case with almost any who done it, you're dealing with like portraits of opulence and you know this boat looks amazing you just want to be on there uh sipping wine and all that but it's also in the midst in the middle of of egypt and so you get to see like these landmarks and everything is just shot so beautifully it just it feels i appreciate it because it just feels like an old time movie event are there crocodiles in the movie there are oh good yes um and so uh 
so yeah, it just, it feels it, it, I don't mean to sound like an old man, but it's like, it's like the old days when you went to see a movie, damn it. <laughs> you know, it feels like that. Um, and some of that can be extended to the runtime. It's over two hours. And I could see some people being bothered by that runtime because, you know, it's, it's a whodunit. And so they're kind of with any genre, there can be this element of like, yeah, we all know how this is going to go and we all know how this works. So let's just get to it. But I think that's one of the things that I like about the, about the film is that Brana, he doesn't, it doesn't feel like he's trying to, to transcend the genre, but I think he's trying to find the humanity within it because I do feel, and I put this in my review as well, uh, the whodunit in particular feels like as much as I love it feels like a dehumanizing genre because it's just like, yeah, let's hurry up and get somebody killed so we can start the mystery, please. Um, and then that person dies and you're like, great, let's go. Um, <laughs> and here he really does want to spend a lot of time with the characters and I won't say who it is that gets killed and maybe the trailers uh, reveal it, but I don't think they do. Um, so that like when that person dies, I, I felt it. I felt like, Oh, we're not going to see that. Like I enjoyed spending time with this person. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to anymore. And it really does feel like a, a movie that wants you to feel the weight of what's going on, as opposed to simply in, indulge in like this genre celebration, which it still is. Um, and it also, the, the, the nature of the story is, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the stuff that happens on board the, the ship is a function of people, loving like really loving one another and and uh try and examining like well what's the cost of that love the cost in some cases could be to die uh and in other cases the cost could be to kill and there's just a lot going on with the movie and i could see some people not really liking it and feeling like it's it sort of luxuriates in the the style and and might think that the tone is a little bit dour but to me i don't know it's it really I mean, I, I, uh, as someone who's read a lot of Nero Wolf books, I enjoy the whodunit and recognize that like, yeah, for the most part, the stories are pretty interchangeable and this isn't interchangeable. I cared about the victims. I cared about the killers and I don't know why I pluralized everything just now. <laughs> it's, uh, I care about the victim and the perpetrator. Um, and, uh, and I wasn't expecting to, and I think that's really I think that's really notable. And, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I find myself wondering, cause you know, Brenna's fresh off of Belfast and part of me thought like, Oh, well maybe this is like a one for them, one for me situation. Like he, like, cause Belfast is a very personal movie to him. Yeah. And so maybe he felt like he should make death in the Nile. But in my view, it's like, it feels like he put way more effort and heart into death on the Nile than Belfast. I like this movie infinitely more. Partially because of who I think Kenneth Branagh is as a director. I think there's a natural theatricality to him that lends itself to this more so than Belfast. But I highly recommend it. And I'd also, this isn't something I say lightly. Um, I'd say see it in the theater because the sound design is great. It's a visually gorgeous movie. I, I really recommend it. Um, now, was this, I, I don't I don't know. Was Death on the Nile actually made before Belfast? Because I know it's been done for a while. Uh, yeah, it's, I don't actually, I don't know the, the, the timeline. Um, I imagine it would have to be because it just feels like so much time would have to be taken on it. And they, they hint at it at the, they hint at death on the Nile at the end of murder on the Orient express. So I feel Which, like this is always been, that? 
I think that was 17 or 18. I don't remember exactly. Okay. Well, that was a while then. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. I, I certainly it was done long enough ago that army hammer was a viable leading man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I'll move on. Um, uh, but don't, don't tune out Tyler. Cause this is a okay. movie you've seen. Okay. Um, I sat down and watched John M. Chu's in the Heights. Oh yes. Okay. Which I think you were mixed, maybe leaning negative on if I remember correctly, but, uh, it worked yeah. for me. It worked for me. I think it worked for most people. I, I yeah. like, I haven't seen, I think I need to go back and watch the movies that John M. Chu made his name on, which was like step up two and three, which I know people really like. Uh, cause I had never seen one of his movies before crazy rich Asians, which I also liked. And uh, I think I like in the Heights even more because, uh, I think the main thing is that John M. Chu and Lin-Manuel Miranda are great matches for each other in that they're both like kind of on the edge of being corny. Like they're like, maybe sure. like cool youth pastor type of energy in a way, you know, <laughs> like, and I, I appreciated that. Like, this is a, this is a big production. This movie looks like a, it looks like an expensive movie in the yep. Heights. It's nearly two and a half hours. It, it's, it's a big production and it at no point really felt like self-serious to me. It, it, right. it felt like it, it was honest about, it's emotions in like an earnest way, but not in a self-consciously this is important type of, of, of way. Um, I mean, and sometimes it crossed over to being a little bit too earnest and too, there's like the whole storyline with uh, the Jimmy Smith's and his daughter, you know, yeah. I felt like that was a little bit uh, on the nose, just characters saying what their yes. motivation and like, uh, stuff was is to each other, but um, and I and honestly I think a lot of the parts that don't have a lot of the talking parts are not my favorite in this movie. But that's right. not that big a problem because there's a lot of musical numbers and they're like big productions. There's one that takes place at like a swimming pool and that like that's the best one in my he opinion. takes advantage of that. But then there's also the um uh. The song's called Carnival del Barrio, where like the it's starting to blackout and the heat's out and everyone's mm. like hanging out in the courtyard in between apartment buildings and they decided to sort of like turn it into a a, a party. Um, but they're singing about like their their roots are all in different, you know, like some of them are Dominican, Puerto Rican, and right. and Chilean and. And, and Cuban and, and, all, and all these, all these things. I, I really liked that number, but even like the, the opening number, I like Anthony Ramos a lot. Um, and the opening number, this is the kind of thing I'm talking about of just like having like John M. Chu having fun with it when he's like, cause he, Anthony Ramos character, as you, you know, this Tyler, mm -hmm. you've seen the movie, but in case you haven't, uh, he runs like a corner store and there's yeah. a part of the opening song where he's like, saying all the different things that customers say to him. And it's this, this, this shot from like the clerk's point of view where he is standing there and it's obviously cut together from a bunch of different cuts. Like it keeps cutting to him holding different items as he's like at the checkout. But like, if you were just focused on his lip singing the song, it's like completely 
seamless. It's really well right. done and it, and like fun. Uh, you, you know, it, there's there's a whole uh, later. There's a number with uh, Junie Smith's daughter. Sorry, I forget the actress. And then um, uh, I forget uh, his name from Tragedy of Macbeth and Strada Compton as well. Corey something. I want to say Corey Hawkins. Is that sound Hawkins. right? I, it sounds yeah, right yeah. To me, yeah. There's a whole musical number with them on the side of a building where the camera turns and then they're like it's that like Fred Astaire climbing up the wall thing where they're like they go from standing on the fire escape to standing yeah. on the side of the building and that's all like there's so much fun to 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 the movie that I, I just uh, I had a real good time with it I, I, I think um, you know there could be I don't know if we'll ever get like a movie movie version of Hamilton because mm. Disney plus has the whole like stage movie, which is yeah. enough of a production because like, it's not just live productions. They, I haven't seen it. I haven't watched it, but the, the one that's on Disney plus is like, there were a couple live productions they filmed, but they also did a production with no audience and with the cameraman on stage with them. So they could get like close-ups right. and shots and stuff that you couldn't get uh, otherwise. So to me, that seems like enough of a movie, but I could see someone because Hamilton's become such a big thing. Mm -hmm. I could see someone making a version of Hamilton as a movie that takes itself too seriously. Sure. And I think uh, John M. Chu was the right fit for, for, for in the Heights. It's, it's, it's a movie that is uh, uh, fun first and, and not self-conscious. Yeah, directorially, I, I think it, the film is very admirable. But for whatever reason, maybe just the story, or there there are so many characters to keep track of, and some of them I didn't care as much about as others. Um, and uh, but certainly from a, it just it feels like such a celebration uh, th that movie. And uh, yeah, it's and also just for whatever reason, just a lot of the songs didn't work for me. I think it's just the I don't know. I think I'm. I don't honestly think I'm that much of a musical guy, regardless of right. what type it is. Cause I know that Lin-Manuel Miranda is certainly not the type of, of lyricist and his arrangements aren't the same, aren't like a traditional Broadway musical kind of thing. And so, um, so some of the songs, like they're so conversational that like, they'll, they'll like hint, they'll like do a tip of the cap towards the concept of melody. And then they'll pull back and just go back to conversation. I'm like, I was just getting into this. And so like, mm. I think I tend to like stuff that's maybe a little bit more traditional, but as we'll talk about in a, in a, in a few moments, even that might not be enough for me. I think, I think a musical has to hit a very specific sweet spot for me to really enjoy it. Um, but that's, that's me. All right. Um, uh, what's next for you? Next is a rewatch, but I haven't seen it since the theater in 2015. And that is Alex Garland's Ex Machina. Um, a film that uh, I remember it was one of my favorites of, of that year. And I think of it in a very positive way. And in watching it again, it's like I had a pretty good memory of it. Uh, but watching it again, I think I, I can appreciate knowing where the story is going to go. I think I can appreciate some of the smaller moments, some like nice bits of performance, uh, nice little uh, exchanges in dialogue. Um, and not to, not to mention like art direction and all that, because it's a pretty small scale movie. Um, but just because it's that doesn't mean that there's not just as much care going into how everything looks. In fact, it needs to be maybe even more that because you have to believe that this is 
an extension of like the Oscar Isaac character. Um, and the, the place that he has designed speaks just as much about him as any lines that he may have or his performance. So everything has to be sort of of a piece. And I think it, I think it is. Um, and I think I was also able to appreciate uh, Alicia Vikander's performance more mm. because when you know where you're headed, you can appreciate the smaller hints at it. Uh, she certainly doesn't telegraph, but you can, you need to be able to see once the revelations come out about like what Oscar Isaac actually wanted from this, what she actually wants from this. Like once you know that um, a lot of things fall into place and uh, it's a, I came to really appreciate, I, I remember first coming away from the film, like really appreciating what Oscar Isaac was doing. And I still do. I think he's still, he's there's, there's a lot to his character. And, and I think he manages to bring all of it together. Like he's such a bro in some ways, it's hard to believe that he's so brilliant, which means that in those moments of brilliance where, where he's talking about abstract concepts, like you need to be able to believe that he is capable of this as well as, just getting really drunk and, and all that sort of thing. So um, yeah, I think it's a really, it's, it's such a consistent, I believe it's Alex Garland's directorial debut. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I had certainly had liked him as a, as a screenwriter for a while, like on that front, I, I don't think uh, I was really um, that surprised, but when you look at it as a directorial debut, it's like, it's, it's appropriately small. You know, he didn't want to tackle anything too, too big his first time out. Uh, but that doesn't mean that he's still not doing some really interesting things visually, some really interesting th things thematically. Uh, I went and, and read your write-up about it in the 101 best movies of the 2010s. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, available at BattleshipRetention.com. Um, and so, uh, and your write-up was really interesting because it, I had a similar thought that it's, it kind of is a, it has a certainly a feminist angle to it and also has from a pure story standpoint, a bit of a noir angle as far as like a femme fatale and, oh, and right, that yeah. sort of thing. Um, but you know, what's interesting is I, I also had the thought, not that I think this is what the film is about, but there's so th this could be said of, of old time film noir as well. It's possible to look at, you know, double indemnity and see Barbara Stanwyck's character as like, the, she's the smartest one in the film. She's independent. She knows what she wants. And yes, she's pretty lethal, but you know, she is this example, of like, uh, you know, the, the, the generic term at this point, like strong female character. It's like, Hey, you go back to film noir. It's, it's lousy with them. <laughs> um, but one could also look at that and say that it's misogynist, you know, uh, that the concept of a femme fatale is misogynist. Similarly, this could be, I think this was meant as sort of a, 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 a pro-feminist film, but more specifically like exploring what that looks like and, and the role that like men play in either hindering or helping that or attempting to help. I think it could also be seen as almost anti-feminist. The idea, like you look at, at uh, not Brendan Gleeson, Don, uh, Donald Gleeson's yeah. character who you know, he has his own, his own interests in mind as well, but I think he genuinely does want to help. Uh, you know, he, he does see himself as a good person. They actually ask uh, at one point and he's trying to help her. And so in this way, it's like, 
he's sort of to use the the modern term he's sort of an ally and it's this idea and you you go at it from a different angle in your in your view but it's like yeah feminine uh like if she's like a symbol of of feminism and an independent woman it's like yeah she she'll use the ally right up until the point she no longer needs him and then uh goes and then he can go straight to hell and some could see that as like a cynical view of feminism. And then your view, which I'm inclined to agree with more, is looking at the idea of like the knight in shining armor. I feel like the film in its in a completely abstract way would be a great companion film to damsel. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, and so as I was thinking about like all the different ways you can approach it that could be seen as a, as a damn, as a condemnation of the, of the material that it's so broad, but it's like, no, I think it's just, it's abstract in a way that you can take all manner of things from it. Um, and I feel like that's the, that's, that's the mark of, of really strong material that two people could approach it and come away with completely different takes. Not that I know of anybody who has the, the, the anti-feminism take, but I'm just looking at it from an abstract standpoint, like one could conceivably get that from the film. Yeah, I guess if you are someone who overly sympathizes with Donald Gleason's character without any of the self-reflection, yes, you know, um, yeah, you could you could see it that way. Um, but yeah, I, I, I can't remember what I said in my write-up in the book, which you could buy at battleshipprotection.com. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there is something I think the movie is saying something about. I mean, you use the term allyship, but the way that like ally people who are self-proclaimed allies are often people who are coming from a position of privilege and have a tendency almost subconsciously to center themselves, even while they're calling themselves allies. Yes. And and that seems to be what, what's going on in that. All right. Um, Did you watch that because you're excited about the new Alex Garland movie that was announced this week Uh, or the trailer or poster or something that came out? uh, We watched it before that announcement, which is interesting because stay tuned for, a couple movies from now when I'll talk about Annihilation. Oh, good. That's fun. Um, I have not rewatched Annihilation. I, I also need to rewatch Ex Machina. I got, it's been almost like a year and a half ago since I got a new TV. That's like a UHD HDR TV. Mm-hmm. And shortly after that, I was like buying something online from target. And it was like, Oh, I need to get up to 35 bucks to get free shipping. <laughs> Looks like the 4k Blu-ray of Ex Machina is on sale for 10 bucks. So I tossed that in there. So I have it, but it's still, it's yeah. still wrapped. I haven't, I haven't watched it yet. Uh, all right, let's move on to, uh, man, se- uh, second, uh, movie journal in a row, which, which I am talking about Chinese documentaries. Uh, the, the next one I watched is In the Same Breath, which is the new film from uh, Nanfu Wang, who made One Child Nation, which I mentioned last mm-hmm. week on the Movie Journal. Uh, In the Same Breath is her movie about about COVID, about the COVID initial outbreak and, and the response. That's a good and, title. Um, yeah. Uh, and she, um, she... So she was in China... Um, at, like right before the outbreak, when cases first started happening, she and her um, American husband and their son, or their son or daughter, and I can't remember, and their child together were visiting her family. Um, and uh, right when cases started happening, the her husband and son or daughter, I can't remember, uh, went back to America. She stayed with her mom for a while. Eventually, she got out right before everything locked down in China, and so she ended up like kind of directing the movie from. America while she was like 
virtually like over the internet, like hiring cameramen to like go to hospitals and go and like try and get this, this footage. And, uh, as a result, she's got some really amazing, um, uh, uh, footage and, and interviews and, and things that are, um, about, you know, what was happening in the very early days. Like we're talking about, you know, we, as Americans, we tend to think of like the COVID, the pandemic starting in like mid-March. Right. You know, like, cause there started to be cases before that, but she's got like a lot of January and February of 2020 um, footage. That's, that's really fascinating. And also things that like reveal a lot about the um, character of the, Chinese people and the way that like um, her, she had to tell the cameraman at first, like if you're interviewing someone and they start to say something critical about the hospital or about the government, stop turning the camera off. Cause that's what these, mm. that's what they were, they were, they were doing. And, um, uh, and, and you see people like hesitant to say anything bad. And I think we, and like the, American centric point of view tends to think like, well, yeah, the government has terrible human rights, uh, records. People are censoring themselves because they're scared of the government. And there is some of that, but it's also like, we, like it's more in ingrained where it's like, it is, it is the way that a lot of Chinese people seem to express their patriotism is to like, I don't want to say anything bad, not because I'm afraid I'll get thrown in jail, which Nanfu Wang, who is from China, but like a full-time American uh, now, she very much is critical of the government, mm-hmm. of the Chinese government. Um, but it's it's less like I'm afraid of getting thrown in jail, but more like if I say something bad, the West or our enemies, enemy nations sure. could use it against China and that would make me a bad citizen. It's really a fascinating look. The problem I will say is that Nanfu Wang is not content with using the cinematic tools, which she does very well to argue her points. There's too much of her voiceover explaining, like yeah. vocalizing what she's like. I think, and, and that comes mostly at the end where I started to sour on it because the movie does a really fascinating thing of spending so long the early, like the first 30, 40 minutes of the movie in China and criticizing the way that the China was like lying about the seriousness of COVID sweeping cases under the, under the rug and, and, and like uh, uh, all of, all of these things. And it gets you so like, like I said, 30 to 40 minutes of that, it gets you so into it that like, uh, of like, God, I can't believe that Chinese government to then when it turns to like, meanwhile, back at home and then like starts to go into like the ways that America's government, like misled or, or right. lied or just fucked up COVID response. And, and, um, and I think it is a very smart thing of not saying like, see, these two countries are the same. It's not saying that right. it's saying there are specifics to the way that China works as a country and the way that America works as a country that are very different. And each country, uh, fucked up or or was immoral or unethical or dishonest about covid in ways that are specific to the culture of government and 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 ways of life in those two nations the movie does such a good job of that that like in the in the final stretch of the movie when her monologue makes such a big like literalizes all of that it's like you didn't did you not trust 
me? Did you not trust yourself? You know, it was, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of a, a, a bummer when that, when that happens. That's too bad. Uh, all right. What's, uh, what's next for you? Next for me is Steven Spielberg's West side story. Ooh. Um, a movie that I was all ready to just love. And I really liked it. Occasionally loved it. Sometimes merely liked it. Um, there was nothing I didn't like about it, but um, it, it's tough because my expectations were very high and I, maybe I shouldn't have had them that high. Um, but uh, yeah, certainly I feel like it's, this sounds mean. I feel like it's the most engaged Spielberg has been in quite a while with the material. Um, you know, like I, like I saw, I mean, Ready Player One, which I have to remind myself is a Spielberg movie. And even something like Bridge of Spies, which I liked quite a bit, um, but I didn't really get a sense of joy. Uh, in the, It felt like he was just like, yeah, sure, let's make this. And then I have to remind myself he made the post as well. You get to West Side Story and yeah, the it post feels... Yeah, I, I, I like these movies. I, the Post was one of my favorite movies of that year. Um, but as far from from an auteur standpoint, um, this is the kind of energetic, celebratory Spielberg that uh, that I think of in regards to like his his best movies, um, where there's there are bold decisions being made. Um, and that was kind of fun to see. Uh, and certainly the 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 supporting cast is fantastic you know um ariana debose and mike feist certainly like uh vp nominees by the way mm-hmm. um fun seeing rita moreno in there and in that role um and in a way that's unfortunate because you know rachel rachel zegler does a fine job and ansel elgort is you know passable but Anytime it brings, anytime we get back to them, I was like, oh yeah. And I didn't, you know, it's inevitable to compare it to the original and the original really did feel like it was about Tony and Maria. This feels like it's perpetually trying to distract from Tony and Maria. Um, Like even the idea of like giving, um, I think this is the song called a place for us, like giving that song to Rita Moreno, um, you, like reassigning songs and, and all that. Uh, it feels like their romance is is perfunctory and not front and center, which is not that big of a deal because it does feel like it's more of a communal movie and they're just one part of it. Uh, but it does mean that anytime we cut to them, I'm infinitely less interested than when Mike Feist, for example, is on screen. So it's tough. I just kept there. Something kept me from really embracing the movie, even though there were individual elements that I just adored. Um, But yeah, it's certainly, it's like, it's the film as a whole is not one of my favorite movies of the year, really by any stretch as far, as far as its parts, like, 
the you know Janusz Kaminski's camera uh, camera work is is wonderful. I really get you get a sense of place with the art direction. A lot of the supporting performances are marvelous. So I really and and some of the choreogra- uh, choreographical choices are are really wonderful as well. So like dissecting it, like the idea of of a movie being like as good as or greater than or less than the sum of its parts. For me, it's less than the sum of its parts, but those parts are so good. Um, so yeah, it's, it's not a film I could fully embrace. Uh, I just felt, I kept feeling like it, it was, it kept falling short as a whole, as opposed to like individual elements. Uh, yeah, it sounds like, um, it was hurt by your high expectations. I think the movie for me benefited from my low expectations. Cause I saw it sure before anyone had seen it was writing about it. And I was just like, why is he doing this? <laughs> you know? Yeah, uh, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, I ended up, um, I liked it certainly more than you, not as much as some. Yeah. Okay. It's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with bite and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at bite.com. Bite clear aligners are doctor directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right. Uh, moving on, I saw the new film from director Kogonada, who made Columbus a few oh, years yes. ago. His new film is a science fiction film called After Yang, and it stars uh, Colin Farrell and Jody Turner-Smith. I always forget if it's Smith-Turner or Turner-Smith, but she she was, if you remember, she was Queen in Queen and Slim, which is a movie that oh, I okay, also yeah. really liked. Um, so they're the main two uh, characters, and they're a... It, I don't want to, we ended up, we do end up getting a hint as to like how far in the future we are. The movie takes place. I don't really want to get into that now, but at some place point in the future, Colin Farrell and Jody, I already forgot Turner Smith. Um, yes, I think so. Uh, are yeah. Reverse alphabetical order. That's how I remember it. Um, uh, are a, a couple who have a daughter. They, uh, they adopted from a Chinese girl. They adopted and in this version of the future, in this in this culture, couples who can afford it can buy a thing that's called an older sibling. And it's a Chinese cyborg, essentially. It looks like a human, but it's a cyborg that is there to help uh, your Chinese adoptee remain in touch with the, the culture of their birth. Interesting. Um, yeah, but that's just, this is all me just giving backstory because what happens very early on is that Yang, which is the name of the um, older sibling, they have malfunctions. And the, the the real plot of the rest of the movie is Colin Farrell trying to get him fixed and finding out more about Yang's own history. Hmm. Uh, and so the movie is about maybe one of my favorite topics that movies can be about, which is memory. Mm. Um, and, and, uh, um, of course, and it does that science fiction thing of using 
something non-human to say to comment on you know that's often in movies where there are androids or cyborgs just like that you hear yeah. people say like oh they're the most human characters in the movie right people think they're the first person i noticed that but that's like, like a, a a common trope and after yang absolutely even though yang is unconscious for most of the movie we learn a lot about him through flashbacks and like the memories and his chips or cards or whatever you know um he's uh so that 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 definitely uh uh holds true and um uh there's a a a, a beautiful like yearning for connection which i think people who saw columbus will definitely recognize Haley lou richardson uh from columbus shows up again here um yeah there's a number of um uh, in the supporting cast, there's a number of really great people. Um, Haley Richardson, uh, sorry, Haley Lou Richardson uh, plays a person I won't uh, spoil. Uh, Clifton Collins Jr. Uh, plays a, a, a neighbor. Um, I don't know if you know the actress. You've definitely seen her in things. Sarita Ch- uh, Ch- Chuduri. Um, but she was, um, uh, very recently, she was Gawain's mom in The Green Knight. Oh, okay. Um, I first remember her. Did you ever see a hologram for the king? The no. Tom Hanks? Okay. Uh, I first remember her from that, but she's been in a lot of things and I always like her when she shows up and stuff. So she shows up um, as like a, uh, I'm not sure, a, a scholar of techno beings like Yang. Um, so yeah, uh, there's a, anyway, there, there's the, what I was saying is that, that longing for connection, but it, it also, it, I, I, it treads a line that I think there has to be something ineffable for it to work. And it could be different for different people because I talked last week about how ridiculous I found the movie lamb because I felt that it's like quietude. It's stillness felt very much like an affectation. And I kept rolling Mm -hmm. my eyes. If not outright laughing at it after Yang, if you're not connected to it, you might have that same, sense of like this movie thinks it's so serious because everyone's like right. whispering all the time or, or whatever but um uh it absolutely worked for me i felt all the um emotions roiling under the under the surface i i really like colin farrell i tend to like him in, in movies yeah. um uh and and after yang is is no exception so definitely i would say make it a priority when it comes out uh I think at the beginning of March, you know, it's uh, there's something about science fiction. I'd say science fiction and horror, uh, especially, but focusing on science fiction right now, there's something about science fiction as a genre that there's such, there's a, a certain quality to it that when you see filmmakers who aren't making science fiction, but they have a certain vibe to them, you're like, Oh, that person should make science fiction. <laughs> and I adored Columbus. There's nothing sci-fi about it, but yeah. tonally, and I think the the way music is used, but also just like the the eye, because it's a film very much about architecture, but like the eye towards like structure and just like real like symmetry in the in the um in the framing. Uh like when I heard that Coconato was making a, a, a science fiction movie, I was just like, yes. Yes, 100%. I'm on board with that. He feels like he would be very good at that. Um, I should also mention, because I was naming the actors that are... Um, I was naming actors that I had heard of before. <laughs> um, but the actor who plays Yang is also very good. His name 
is Justin H. Min. Um, and then there's also uh, an actor. Do you know who Brett Deer is? Um, no. He was on Jane the Virgin, which I okay. was like, even though I didn't really watch a lot of that, my 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 wife did, so I saw enough of it that I uh, recognize him and know uh, who he is. So he, uh, he has one scene as essentially like, like the genius bar guy, like at an Apple store, but sure. for, for these like older siblings thing, it's a great scene. It's a, it's a great little performance from, from Brett, uh, uh, Brett Deer. All right. Um, you're up next. All right. Well, let's keep the sci-fi going with okay. Alex Garland's other uh, directorial effort, which is Annihilation. Um, so uh, I've not, this is a film I had not seen since, uh, since the theater. Um Same. And it was my favorite movie of 2018. And as tends to happen, you know, when I think back on uh, a film that I designate as my favorite, but I've only seen once, uh, I think like, okay, well, was it, is it really (laughs) my favorite? Like when I think back on 2018, do I really like this more than first reformed, for example? Um, And in watching it again, uh, I, I, I still love it so, so much. Uh, I do think from a screenplay standpoint, there are actually more lines that are a bit on the nose in a way that is maybe a little bit off-putting, actually, uh, where characters will just like declare their, maybe not their motivation, but they declare their background. And she's like, eh. you know, that's something that can be organic in certain ways, uh, but, but somehow I mean, it doesn't think... feel organic in, in when I, it's done in the film. The, the, there's There's something kind of like, heightened and exaggerated about annihilation in general so i yes. don't I, I don't mind that kind of uh, artifice in in a movie that is uh itself you know made to to uh i i, I honestly i actually recently i think ex machina qualifies too but i recently tweeted something about movies like annihilation and i referred to them or at least the things that i like about them as uh bedroom wall poster movies sure <laughs> um, and so i think there's there is something about it uh, uh there's a there's a larger than life quality to those type of movies so the idea of something being inorganic uh which is an odd term uh, to right. use when talking about annihilation in particular but a little bit unnatural is uh, acceptable to me and given who the characters are where they are what they're dealing with and their mindset it's not out of the realm of possibility that they would speak in more overt ways to one another. Um, and so, uh, cause like that's something that did bother me at first, but it clearly I got, I got over it enough to consider it my favorite movie of that year uh, and watching it again, it bothered me significantly less maybe because I knew uh, that lines like that were coming, but also right. it's just like, but you know what? Like, I'm not in these characters situation at all. I imagine that given that they are facing what they have to assume is, is death of some kind. Yeah. That might, that might, uh, you know, loosen someone's tongue a little bit and suddenly they're a lot more open about what they're thinking and feeling. Um, And so, yeah, watching it again, I just have such a, such a love for, for, the film's willingness to not assign motivation to the shimmer and just, Mm. and explore the concept of uh, 
undirected change and alteration. Like the idea of, of, you know, a, a an essentially like an albino uh, alligator with like shark teeth, you know, mm-hmm. and just the idea of just bringing these things together, not for any particular reason, but just because it feels like they would fit together. Why not? But even then that implies more of a conscious choice. It's more just things changing indiscriminately. And I, and even within that, I think the film probably could have gone more in that direction, but it still has to have some level of mainstream appeal. Uh, But just the idea of, of walking along and just seeing like these crystal trees and seeing these, you know, uh, these plant people, uh, and not to, to say nothing of that, that horrendous slash beautiful image of the soldier who has been spread all mm. over the wall. I mean, it's, it's nightmarish, but still so gorgeous uh, at the same time. And, and I think that's the, that's the core of the film is this idea of, you know, um, the concept of change is so terrifying because even if we don't like ourselves or don't like our lives or whatever it is, it is often the thing it's the devil we know. And I don't know what change will look like, especially indiscriminate change. So I'd rather just be what I am, which means the concept of change is itself a monster. Uh, And I love that the film certainly towards the end goes in this direction of I don't know if I should view this positively or negatively. And the fact that you can get to that, that in the midst of this film with a growing sense of dread, that by the end you're conflicted and not viewing it purely as something scary or something to be confronted. That speaks volumes about Alex uh, Garland's like command of tone and getting you to a place philosophically where you're a lot more open to what could be there. Um, and I think that also speaks to Natalie Portman's performance and, and watching it change over the course of the film. Uh, yeah, it really is just a, a, a marvelous movie. I know very little about about Garland's next film. I'm fine with not knowing. Yeah, I don't uh, want to know. I like I, Alec Gar- I trust Alex Garland. Yeah. And I also love Jesse Buckley and Jesse Buckley's going to be in yeah. it. So that's um, ticket already sold. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Annihilation is... You, you talked about being... Uh, horrifying and terrifying. They say they kind of like makes me laugh because it reminds me of like I saw a press screening, and then this was like, you know, 2018 was like Movie Pass era, mm-hmm. and so I remember Natalie, my wife Natalie, was like, "I'm thinking about going to see Annihilation, but is it really scary?" And I was like, "No, it's not like because I don't think it is." And she came home and she was like, "What are you? What are you talking about?" <laughs> she found the movie like horrifying and i i find something because there's for obviously understandable reasons there have been, been so many movies about the end of the world or the end of right. humanity in in recent years um and i find annihilation to be there's something almost soothing in its sense of resignation or or peace yeah. or whatever you know like the end case in point the the number one thing that Natalie pointed to as being horrifying in the movie is the, the way that Tessa Thompson's character comes to an end, which I found so beautiful. I did Uh, as well. Yes. Like she's the only character with any real peace of mind. Yeah. Uh, by the end of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. So next up for me is a film from Kosovo. 
called Hive. Um, and it's one of the, like, it got, it's gotten a lot of, uh, acclaim among, uh, uh, festival circuit type of, uh, acclaim. And it's the kind of movie that I, like, I feel like I had this in 2020 with, um, uh, a film called I carry you with me that I didn't like very much. Uh, it, it has the feel it's, it's the kind of feel like I, I get to be an asshole not to like it almost because it's, it's based on a true story. That's so like upsetting and inspiring that it's like, what do you like? Uh, how uncaring of you to not like the movie. It's um, a, a, a woman in, it's about a woman in Kosovo who like a lot of women, uh, her husband disappeared was disappeared, that sort of thing. Um, uh, this, the movie makes clear this has happened to a lot of, of families and in this like endless limbo of like, we don't know if he's dead. Is he coming back someday? Um, and also apparently this is the movie's point of view, not mine. Uh, Kosovo seems to be like in a, in a world where there are a lot of places that vying for the title of most misogynistic sexist place. <laughs> the movie makes a pretty good case. The Kosovo is in, is in the running because she like the fact that she is being forward thinking enough to be like, my husband might never be coming back. I need to figure out how to provide for my family. She's called a whore. She's accused of wanting her husband to be dead just because she wants to like get a driver's license and learn how to make money. Yeah. And, um, the drive, like driver's license equal equaling her being a, again, the movie's word horror is not just an epithet thrown around. There is literally like a man in an village who knows her. And then when he finds out that she drives herself attempts to force himself on her. Cause it's like, basically like, Oh, she's a cheap, like hmm. she's not a real woman. She's cheap or whatever, because she, she, she drives like that's it's so this stuff is horrifying um but the um <clears throat> the woman does like find other women who are in this position and they sort of start a adventure together to try and take care of themselves and, and their families and again it's all based on a true story so i feel like an asshole for saying uh, as a film it's pretty much the expected like um this is important because it's so miserable type of mm. filmmaking. Um, and I, 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 I don't know. I, I feel bad because and like, am I then cheapening these women's real experience? But I feel like in real life people, you know, I've always, I'm not the first person to point out. There's like when people say like huh, first world problems, which is like, I don't know if people still say that, but that was right. a big thing. Like, 10 years ago or whatever people were saying like first world problems there's something insulting in that the assumption that people in the developing world don't also get bothered by little things right like by reducing them only to the trauma of their of of their grander circumstances is actually kind of like it turns them into symbols as opposed to people and i kind yes. of felt that way about uh, about hive it's it's like this woman wakes up every day and suffers under the thumb of 
um, a backwards, misogynistic, corrupt culture, and that's the only thing that she is or does. And uh, I, I, I found that kind of exhausting. Uh, luckily, the movie's not very long, but um, yeah, I feel like a, a jerk, but I didn't really like it. Yeah, I that that speaks to. Uh, I remember when I was younger, we. <clears throat> my, my church would go on like mission trips to Juarez, Mexico to like help rebuild people's houses and stuff like that. And and one of the things that we would also do is have like just a vacation Bible school. Cause it was during the summer. So like kids weren't in school. So it's like, Hey, for this week, like the neighborhood kids have something to do. Um, and, but just in general, like that we, we were not in a, in a like great part of the city. Uh, and but the kids were just like so upbeat and and fun and just like, you know, seventh grade me thinks like, well, it's a mission. It's a missions trip. Everyone where when we go there, everyone's just going to be miserable all the time and just thinking about how miserable they are. And it's this <laughs> idea. It's like and I feel like there are there are movies and maybe people who look at someone and that's it's like, what? What are you laughing about? What are you having fun for? Don't yeah. you realize how miserable you are? Can't you be what I think you are? Like you're making me feel. And I think that's, that's the core of like first world problems. And, and that sort of thing is just like, yeah, it's, it's inherently reductive of it, of all involved. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so uh, that's unfortunate that the, that the movie is, is that. Um, would but you also say that- I feel like, in, uh, again, this is, at least with I carry you with me. That was a movie that was made by like white Americans. Sure. Hive is from what I understand made by someone who is from this part of the world. Yeah. Um, but there could, there's, there, there could very well be some like uh class condescension. Sure. Um, there or, or whatever. I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to impugn. Right. Any right. further, <laughs> any more than I already have. Uh, Okay, well, my last film is once again a rewatch, which I had haven't seen since I first saw it, uh, not in the theaters, but uh, on, on Blu-ray uh, in 2015. And that is uh, Craig Zoller's Bone Tomahawk, oh. um, and I, it's the only film of his I've seen. I know that there are people like like films that he's made since then have some people love them, some people do not. Um, I know that you what what you've seen of his you haven't particularly liked that much, right? I I, I didn't see Bone Tomahawk, which I, I know that's like the the one that made his name, but I didn't mm-hmm. like uh, Cell Block. What was it called? Riot in Cell Block Ninety Nine. I like think that. so. Something uh, like that. And I and I didn't like um, Drive Across Concrete. Yeah, it's you know, and, and based on what I've heard of those, like I don't know if I would like them very much either. Um, because I think that he has an, an instinctive, but maybe I would, I don't know. Uh, if I, if you told me the, the basic premise of bone Tomahawk, uh, I probably would have dismissed it. In fact, when I first watched it, I thought like, well, I've heard this is good and it sounds pretty pulpy. So, uh, I'll give it a watch. And the premise is pulpy, but the execution is absolutely, is very much not. Um, and it is essentially, uh, it's, it's, first and foremost a uh, western but there are horrendous horror elements i guess it's the nature of uh, horror is it's horrendous um those elements are in it and those elements it being a western and the fact that they are that our characters are confronted with um like these cave dwelling characters that 
uh, the local Native American says like, yeah, they're not from any tribe. We ourselves don't. It's like, you know, what's we, the name of the local Native American character? Uh, Is, I think they call him the professor. Okay. Have you watched Reservation Dogs on No, FX? I haven't. I really want to. I've heard good things. So that guy, Zahn McLarnon is his name, plays the um, like um, reservation cop, like the tribal police officer. Mm, okay. And he's so great. He's outside of the four main characters. He's my favorite character on Reservation, reservation Dogs. And when I like, I loved him so much when I watched Reservation Dogs that I was like, I got to see what else this guy was in. How do I not know yeah. this middle-aged actor who's like so funny and so charismatic? Um, and, and yeah, Bone Tomahawk came up. He's only in one scene in Bone Tomahawk and he's very oh. impactful. And the other, and the idea of him saying like, cause so many of the other characters are willing to talk about the cave dwellers as though they are simply other you know, engines, as they say in the in the they certainly don't say Native American right. uh, in the film. Uh, and and he distances him, himself from that. And that could feel that could be the, the film trying to, like, have its cake and eat it, too. But I also feel like the film is more than willing to show. In fact, the very first scene of the film shows. Really inhumane brutality on the part of like these two. Uh, like white thieves played by David Arquette and Sid Haig, who the, fir- yeah, the first thing someone gets their throat cut and apparently they didn't cut it uh, deep enough because the person is still alive, at which point it's like, oh, okay, then Sid Haig, Sid Haig just hits him with a rock. It's like, well, that's pretty damn primitive uh, and, 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 and really inhuman. And so I do think that the film really explores this idea of like, yeah, the, the concept of civilized, that's not, it's not purely a cultural thing like a person an individual can choose to be civilized or not uh by which i mean like seeing a, a fellow human as a human and not a source of income or a piece of meat or whatever it is there's there's so much in the film that i find really fascinating i think it's beautifully written and you can tell the actors themselves are really enjoying that dialogue. It's got a great cast. Richard Jenkins is in it. It's a, in my in my view, it's a career best from Kurt Russell. Uh, Matthew Fox turning in a, the type of performance you wouldn't expect from him. A uh, friend of the show, Fred Melamed, is in it. Uh, James Tolkien is in the film for for one one scene. Uh, it's a it's just such a fascinating uh, such a fascinating film and and a really effective western and i was very glad that i watched it again it's it's pretty intense like and it does and it does also feature i'm i'm thinking it's either it's probably either this or or day of the dead that feature like the single most the the single goriest scene i've ever seen in a film uh i think the i think it's probably bone tomahawk because the scene is so Yes, there's blood and guts and screaming and all that, but also just the thing that happens in this particular scene is so creatively horrendous and so inhuman that, I mean, you talk to anybody who's seen the movie and and you just say, like, what do you think of that scene? You don't have to say what the scene is. Everyone knows what it is. Uh, Is this something you watched with your brother-in-law? Yes. Did he like it? He did. He liked it quite a bit. Um, And I wasn't sure if he would because I don't think of him as, as a guy who like watches Westerns and this is first and foremost that like, it feels a lot like the searchers in a lot of ways. Um, that's funny. Cause I, I think whenever, whenever I watched dragged across concrete, 
um, when I talked about movie journal, I, for very different reasons compared it to the searchers, hmm. um, in the way that it, it uses the casting of Mel Gibson in a similar way that the searchers sure. uses the casting of John Wayne. Sure. Um, so I didn't, still didn't like the movie, but, uh, okay. Do you know if I look at IMDb, Matthew Fox's most recent credit on IMDb is Bone Tomahawk. Really? Yeah. He's apparently he's in a TV series called Last Light that's supposed to premiere at some point this year, but he hasn't been in anything since Bone Tomahawk. What what happened? I don't know. And I'm honestly shocked because he's great. And like, I don't think of Matthew Fox as a as like a particularly dynamic actor. I think he's very good and lost, obviously, and other things that I've seen him in. But he's really like he he turns it into a really solid character performance in bone Tomahawk. I would have thought that that would really bring a lot of the offers flooding in, honestly. Yeah. Um, oh, we're on the subject. What happened to Michael Fassbender? His most recent credit is dark Phoenix in 2019, but that sat around for a while from what I understand. Yeah. Right. So he hasn't really been in anything in five years, like the snowman and alien covenant and song to song were all 2017. And did, well, something, did, did he get canceled in the way I don't know? Not that I'm aware of. I okay. mean, frankly, if you were in the snowman, wouldn't you want to take a break? <laughs> like, well, I can't, uh, I clearly, I can't trust myself. I, I, I didn't, I didn't see the snowman. Oh um, boy. But, uh, yeah, that's what, like, I don't know what happened to Michael Fassbender. I hope that's he's interesting. okay. Yeah. Maybe he, maybe like my Matthew Fox and Michael Fassbender are both like tearing up stages somewhere. And we're just sure. like, so movie and TV focused that we forget that yeah. there are other places that people act. Right. Uh, Street all right. Corners. <laughs> yeah. Uh, final movie for me. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe Michael Fassbender is now doing that thing where he um, pretends to have diseases to train medical students. I know that's something that <laughs> actors do. Maybe that's what yeah. he's doing. Like Kramer, like, you know, just uh, talking about lo- the, the, the burning of lost love or whatever yeah. it is. Uh, all right. Um, final movie for me and final movie of this movie journal. Uh, I watched Enrico Cosarosa's Luca, also known as Pixar's oh, okay. Luca. And uh, have you seen this one? I forget. No, I haven't. I, I need to because I got to get my, my BP's votes in. Yeah, uh, I liked it mostly because I think comparing it to, I, unless I'm missing one, I think the, the most recent Pixar film that I've seen is Soul. Is that the, was there another, are they, do they do two a year now? I can't. I've, uh, I've honestly lost track and I feel bad because like, Disney and Pixar, the the look and vibe of their movies, at least as far as how they're marketed, are so similar that I don't even remember which is which anymore. I would not like I do I forgot that Luca was Pixar. Um okay, let's see if I can find a chronological list of Pixar movies. Um Okay, here we go. Here we go. Wikipedia comes to the rescue. So this is after Toy Story. Let's not start all the way at the beginning. Right. Um, yeah, Soul was the last one. Okay. Um, and I feel like after so long of either seeing sequels, you know, Finding Dory, Incredibles 2, Toy Story 4, um, or things like going all the way to Monsters University, cars too to a lot of sequels yeah. or things uh, like i liked uh inside out and i guess i liked coco but I, I liked coco quite a bit actually there's something so like refreshingly small and low stakes about luca 
mm-hmm. uh, that it just really allowed me to just focus on like the fun visual idea of like there are a ter- certain type of sea creature that lives under the sea in fish form, but when they're dry, they look like humans and they can parade around like and so there's uh, a couple of fish boys or whatever who uh, uh, um, run away from home under the sea to uh, and try and fit in the small Italian village in like I think it's supposed to be like the 60s or, right. or whatever um, and befriend a, like a, a human girl um, and so just the the fun things of like uh, uh, they you know accidentally spill some water on one on side, side the side of his face at the kitchen table and he has to like hide so that like the girl's dad doesn't know he's uh, hmm. a fish and like little fun things like that like the uh, you know I feel like before Pixar was known for, I guess, making tear jerkers, <laughs> making right. adults cry, they were known for like really inventive computer animation. Mm-hmm. And in, in, in a certain way, Luca felt like kind of a return to, to that. Not that that ever really went away, but focusing on that as the goal of like, yeah. let's make a movie that's really like fluid and beautiful to, to look at. Um, and also take, you know, I, I mentioned, second mention of my uhd hdr tv you know it's streaming in uhd hdr it looks fantastic and and, and bright and, and colorful and 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 cool and just like having it be a low stakes thing um it worked for me so i i don't i didn't love it or anything like but i i certainly liked it more than soul which which took itself way too seriously yeah it's nice to get uh, an occasional bug's life now and then you know <laughs> yeah yeah and i feel like yeah it's Pixar, it became, yeah, but I guess before the sequels and stuff, like it, it was every Pixar movie was such an event of like, and and that's fine. It was an event for me as well. But uh, yeah, sometimes just a very fun and entertaining and just beautifully made film like that. Yeah, that can be, that can actually be enough in itself yeah. sometimes. Yeah. 